The Loop podcast brought to you by Granicus. Hello and welcome to The Loop, a podcast all about government digital engagement. The Loop is brought to you by Granicus, the digital experience platform for governments. With better engagement comes better feedback, leading to better service delivery in the public sector. This podcast is for public servants, whether they are working in local, state or federal government roles and the communities they work with. Thank you. Today we're talking with Gabriel G. Massilli. I will call him G from now on, as I'm told all of his colleagues call him. Gabriel is the Chief Customer Officer at Granicus. And we really wanted to talk with Gabriel today to look at some of the international case studies that Granicus has, which talks about how they're engaging specific communities through some of their platforms and technologies. Australia's had a flurry of rural commissions in recent years, and oftentimes they're focused on giving voice to vulnerable people who've not been effectively heard by the rest of government and community. In Australia, gee, this is a real focus for government, how to understand the specific needs of certain communities and how to make sure they're heard and that policies are reflecting how they're catered to as citizens. So can I just welcome and start by just asking a little bit about your role and then maybe we can move on to some of the case studies I mentioned. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me here today. First of all, really appreciate the time. And uh, my role as a chief customer officer, I'm responsible for everything that is customer first, as you would imagine. So including all the services organizations that provide both traditional services like support or our implementation activities or customer success, as well as the more advanced consultative services. And some of the things I hope we're going to discuss today cover actually some of the work we have done with that branch of our teams that focus more on creating a digital experiences on behalf of the customers and partnering with them to advance the digital agenda. One of the case studies that really caught my eye was the US Department Veterans Affairs My Health Vet portal. And if you can talk us through a little bit, what my understanding is this is a portal that engages veterans once they return after service around health needs and builds a community to provides a way to maintain communication with veterans around health needs once they're back in the United States. Can you talk us through it a, a little bit? Absolutely. So the Department of Veterans Affairs portal is called My Healthy Vet and provides critical healthcare information and services to veterans. We have been partnering with them for quite some time now. First, we helped them to communicate to the veteran community what was available in the portal. They started organically advertising the portal when it was originally created, and then they engaged with Granicus to help them amplify that message. Through that work together, we have been able to move the subscriber base from roughly 30,000 veterans to more than 500,000 in a pretty short period of time. Uh, but it wasn't sufficient because the VA department, they were planning to revamp the website to reach even more deep into their audience. I believe at that time they had roughly 3 million veterans to reach to. So we worked with them then to advertise the new website and to tune the messaging in a way to reach those specific audiences in a more effective manner. And right now they are hovering above 1 billion subscribers. So pretty advanced in their progress in, in the space. So the, the strategy was that the portal itself, the My Healthy Vet, focuses on provide uh, healthcare information and services to veterans. And our strategy together in partnership with the VA 
has been to leverage a combination of our technology and services so that we could tailor the messaging and bring more engagement out of the veteran community that we are attempting to reach. And for a project like this, apart from the number of people accessing the portal, which looks like it's grown hugely, what other measures of success? Like when you're talking about engagement, that can be quite a mercurial term for people, but also vital. So what does that look like in this context? Yes. So well, first of all, we do measure engagement per se. And with this program, we have a 42% engagement rate. And that is well above the original benchmark that the VA was aiming to achieve. When we look at engagement in this program specifically, the engagement rate is measured as a way to identify how much the veterans that are receiving in need information are then interacting with that information. That starts with, as uh, we mentioned, the click rate, because we reach a broader audience through the entire communications. And on the program, we have a 12% click rate at the moment. That again is way above what we would expect from a traditional newsletter communication. And on top of that, we use uh, anecdotal information as well. So we look at survey data, we regularly provide polls to the audience to understand if they're satisfied with the service they're receiving, if they're satisfied with the information they're being provided, and then use those data points to customize. That is actually the most important part is we are able to tailor the messaging to reach specific pockets on that overall audience. And then in that, provide a tailored sub-messaging to increase engagement further. So this is a question more broadly, but when you're looking at some of the examples that you might see globally about the importance or the success in keeping specific communities engaged and really understanding what their needs are, because that's something I think in Australia that government particularly are really keen to understand, how to make sure we really understand this audience we're connected with them. There's constant feedback loops. Are there any kind of examples or insights that you can share with Australian listeners around how has Granica seen those powerful examples being used? Absolutely. So when it comes to engagement, I think the rules of engagement are very, very similar. Our customer base right now is around 6,000 customers and we engage with around 300 million end users every year. And that is across North America, UK, Australia, and New Zealand, because we operate in all those territories. And the rules are, as I mentioned, are very similar. So what happens is that we start with the information you have available. Sometimes the agencies we work with do not have pre-existing information. And therefore we start with newsletters and through the newsletters that are mainly broadcast to start with, we aim to understand what is the population composition and then start to define personas that we can use to customize messaging. But where the magic happens is when you can go one step further, when you start to have the opportunity to opt in into those messages and maybe provide a little bit more information. Or when the agency already has pre-existing data from other data sources, census being an example, or we can correlate data between what we see from the usage of our technology as well. So we use all the data points then to go one level deeper than a persona definition and go to the point of customizing by individual profile. Using machine learning algorithms, we are able to tailor a specific communication to a specific individual based on the preferences they have expressed before and based on those other data points collected either through other initiatives or through the use of our systems. And at that point is when we see the increase in engagement, of course, because you are hearing 
what you want to hear from us, what you are interested in, is not just generic information that is boilerplate for everybody else. And I think that's the idea of engagement where you're really understanding communities better. And uh, the Veterans Health Portal would be a really good example of that creating more of a two-way conversation that may not be typical for someone who's been in the military. And of course, for any citizen engagement, it's built on trust. So what are those features of building trust and any observations about how government particularly can do that with specific communities? Absolutely. When it comes to trust, we look at trust as a key enabler for any kind of engagement together with transparency. Transparency and trust are the two primary pillars. Transparency goes into the way the agency communicates with their constituents in a way that is clear to them and the information provided is regular and coherent. It is very important for that information to be tailored, as I shared earlier, so to be adapted to a specific audience. And then we need to check if the information is actually received. When I say received, I don't mean just they get the email. I mean, they can read it, they can understand it, they can then engage and act upon it. If that is the case, we move into the engagement category and we can take further action. And that transparent process allows them to create trust over time. And we do measure trust. Again, depending on the customer that we have, they do surveys and they ask information like, what is your perception of this specific agency or this specific program? Have you seen improvements? Would you like to see something different, et cetera? So we can literally measure the satisfaction of the end users through those processes. I mean, this is a broader question about how these projects and initiatives originate and where in an organization would someone go, right, this is something that we need to better understand. We need to find a way to maintain a relationship with this community, with this section of the citizens. How do they often transpire in your observations and not just about the veterans example? And are we learning from how this might be changing about where in government those initiatives are originating? It does, definitely. When there is somebody that is requiring access to a benefit, as an example, they will have a different motivation and they may be more willing to go a few steps more than somebody that is just looking to receive information on a specific service the government may offer. So knowing what is the driver for the contact, driver for the outreach from somebody, it's very important to be able to design that experience in the proper way. The way we look at it, we define customer journeys. And it's a similar process to what I mentioned earlier. So from a customer-centric standpoint, we look at the possible customer journey in the experience they're going to have. And then we separate those journeys as we refine the understanding of that persona and in the end, the understanding of the different individuals. So if somebody is, as an example, a veteran from an underrepresented minority that has been serving for years and now retired with a civil life, what we may want to do is provide them information on what are the overall programs available and what are the possible benefits to start with. Once we understand that they want to dig into a specific subcomponent of the offering of the, this example, then we can provide them very tailored and specific information about those specific programs they're most interested with. I measure once again, the engagement and the response. Going back for a second to the concept of trust, we found that providing timely responses is one of the biggest drivers for trust. Even when the response is not the final answer the user was looking for, but it's just an update. As an example, I received your application or uh, I see you started your application, but now I'm waiting for further documentation from you. And then sometimes it's appropriate to remind them, say, I received the application, I'm waiting for further information. 
Now, when we collapse, I'm going to ask you again for that information that I was waiting from you so that you can actually go and complete your process and get the benefits you were looking for. Handholding the customer through continuous points of communication helps them to achieve their objectives and in the end, builds trust in the agency that has been providing those services. I remember there was a period where a lot of organizations would have web forms and people would go out of their way never to put information into a web form because it was like a black hole that you'd never hear back. Those times have changed, have they? A web form doesn't mean you'll never hear from anybody again. Curious, you've got operations in Australia, New Zealand, the US and the UK, unless there are others. Are you starting to notice patterns or are there very similar challenges to the way that governments are engaging with citizens? Are there similar themes? Are there things we can learn from each other? There are similar themes, but there are also pretty significant differences. If I take Australia as an example, Australia is pretty advanced when it comes to digital understanding and and digital orientation of the government in general. You have been leading some pretty significant transformations already in the past year. So now there are some fundamental expectations from the constituents. They know what to expect from the government. They know that they expect a certain level of digital engagement and digital interaction. So the education phase, if we want, is not needed anymore that much. There is an expectation Mm -hmm. instead. If I look at other communities in other parts of the world, it is very different. So the situations, we need to start educating the users on their possible needs and how they can fulfill those needs through digital means before we can even provide them specific information on what they could achieve. So yes, there are differences. Talking about the themes though, what you said earlier about trust, that is a very common denominator across all the government agencies worldwide that we've been interacting with. And everybody wants to increase the credibility of the government entity and increase the connection that they have with their constituents or citizens, depending, depending on where we are. It's interesting you say that because I think someone was mentioning this week at a forum I was at that trusting government has declined domestically in Australia. But also, I think in some ways, when you're talking about digital engagement, it's actually increased. So there's almost two things are going on at the same time. Like, the council level, the state government level, I knew the New South Wales government's done a huge job in creating really seamless, accessible kind of connection between the government and constituents, particularly during COVID when people went, oh, this is what good looks like. So it's always like there's two things going on at the same time. So it's an important tool for government to make sure that they're doing their best to rebuild trust. Absolutely. NSW specifically is at the forefront of all of those efforts. So we are fortunate enough to be partnering with them on several key initiatives. And we see the level of interest they express and the level of investment they already put. So that is paying back clearly in terms of the the digital channels that are already available. And when I mentioned that, it's important to notice that despite the level of digital literacy being pretty high, there will always be pockets of individuals that do not have the same access as others. So Being able to understand how the population is composed and what they can and cannot do is extremely important if we want to be effectively engaging with them. As an example, we found that in certain parts of the population, expecting an engagement through a website or through a web form or even through an email is just unrealistic. So we need to default to simpler means like a two-way text message, as an example. And uh, because almost everybody at this point has a mobile phone and they're able to text, but not everybody has the ability to have an email address or to have a computer easily accessible for them to interact with the government. We're really seeing a theme here of the NDIS, the National Disability Insurance 
there's the Royal Commission's financial services. You get this real patterns of people that haven't been listened to and it takes robo-debt and it takes a long time and often through the media where you find out that actually there's been communities really badly served. So I'm just wondering, like, platforms that Granicus can provide that are creating, like, little bubbles of opportunity for people to speak up to stop getting to the point where they're really bad. You see a real pattern here. As mentioned, the populations have very different compositions. So when you look at it from an inclusivity standpoint, we really need to be very deliberate how to reach out to everybody and how to engage. Only multi-channel can achieve that. And the reality is that expecting digital to be the only solution is not sufficient. So when we look at multi-channel campaigns, we look at multi-channel campaigns beyond the digital components. There may be a postcard campaign to go to start with. There may be uh, ads on a local newspaper to start with. And then gradually evolving that into a digital engagement because that is indeed more convenient most of the times. But pretending that the digital campaign is the only way to engage with constituents is just unrealistic today and unfair to, again, parts of the population that are oftentimes more in need. It's such an important point. And we spoke with one of your colleagues, Luke, about the Broken Hill case study a couple of weeks ago. And Broken Hill has a huge variance in its constituent base, very, very different geographically, culturally, etc. And the notion of inclusion being absolutely critical for government and working really carefully with organisations like yours to make sure, how do we understand our citizens? How are we making sure that no one gets left behind? Yeah. And if I can tag along on that for a second, it goes down to how do we respect them as well? How do we respect their time? How do we respect their efforts? If somebody has to drive several miles to get to the public library to get access to a computer, respecting their time and effort is giving them an opportunity to interact with the government without having to drive. Similarly, once they express the fact that they prefer certain channel of communication, respecting that choice and continuing to engage proactively with them through that channel of communication as the first option is a sign of respect. And that in turn builds trust. 100%. G. Masili, thank you so much for taking the time. There's a lot to be learned from best practice all over the world and it's been a delight to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.